0: Today's reading is from Mark chapter 16, verses 1 to 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, Who will roll away? the stone from the entrance of the tomb. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man, dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said, You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, The women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid.
1: Uh, Well, it's such a joy to be here with you all. Um, My name is Tom. I'm one of the student ministers here. Um, If we haven't met, and if this is the first time you've been here, um, it is a joy that you are here with us. Um, It doesn't matter that you don't know all the creepy, chanting things that we're meant to say at this time. Um, that is just a, for those who may be afraid of that, do not be afraid. Um, it, is, it is more just a, a way of reminding each other about the beautiful truths that we have in Christ. Um, this passage, however, uh, the one that we are looking at today is probably my favorite resurrection passage, but is not many people's favorite resurrection passage. Um, I'm sorry, uh, Flick, you you thought you were going serious. We're going deep. Um, (laughs) Because here, Mark leaves us in a very different place to what the other gospels um, do. See, Mark leaves us with verse 8. If you look in your little book, you can see it. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now, you might have thought that that was a weird place to end the reading, but that's where Mark ends. There's nothing after this. We learn a lot about how Jesus appears to the disciples and to the women and to all the different things and how they kind of wrestle with it. But for Mark, it ends there. There is nothing else. It's a, it's a terribly unsatisfying ending. Why does Mark leave us with fear, with people being afraid? So unsatisfying is this ending that, I mean, if you're reading from an actual Bible, you notice that there's actually a couple other verses there with a big kind of like disclaimer. And the disclaimer is like, We're pretty sure this wasn't in the actual text. That Mark didn't actually write this little bit of an ending afterwards. But in fact, that that was added in later on. And I think that attests to the fact that somebody saw this ending and was not satisfied with it. Why does God, why does Mark leave us in fear? What is he trying to say? Now, at this point, I should note that if you're worried about people editing the Bible, I, this, that example is one of basically two examples of that. And it points to more of our assurance that everything else is exactly as it was, then opens up uh, the possibility that other parts have been edited, because we have such rich knowledge of the history of the texts. Um, if you are worried about that, come talk to me. There's no reason to be afraid. Well, why are they afraid? Why are they afraid? Is it a mistake? Did Mark just forget to add a bit extra? Did somebody tear off the bit? Why is Mark leaving us in fear? Well, I think there's a couple of different opinions on that. Um, my opinion, I think it because it stops us. It stops us in our tracks and raises the unavoidable Question, what do we do with fear? What is it, what is it here? What, why are we afraid? Why are they afraid? And the reason Mark does this is most literarily, it's, it's trying to stop us because it's one of the key themes of the entire gospel of Mark. And if you haven't got it yet, he's going to leave you with this cliffhanger and make you go back and look to see what he says about fear and what he is attesting to what Jesus says about fear. Because at the time they would have been this would have probably been sent to the early church, who was under great persecution. They were probably sent out from and dispersed out of Jerusalem and kicked out of it because the Jews didn't want them there. Or the Jewish leaders. More accurately. So they would have been dispersed in places they didn't know or understand. And in fact, they could have been under the reign of Emperor Nero, who, was, who would routinely persecute them, routinely put them to death. Their lives were full of scary things. So we, they needed to know what to do with fear. Unlike us today, where we have absolutely nothing to fear, we have overcome all fear, our life is great, and there's nothing big and looming coming over anything. That was sarcasm, thanks for laughing. There are so many things to be scared of. Whether those are personal fears, rejection, maybe bankruptcy, maybe losing a job in a financial crisis, maybe death, getting canceled by an old tweet, or more global fears, another pandemic, a climate crisis, a war in Europe, a potential recession, potential sea war in, in Asia. What do we do with our fears? Well, luckily enough, Mark does have and Mark records for us a lot of things that Jesus teaches us about fear. So we're going to... I'm, now, I'm not going to preach on all of Mark, but I am going to jump around quite a bit, okay? Because all, throughout this entire time, Mark is trying to make sure that we remember the teachings previously in Mark. Um, teaching, like the story of when Jesus comes to storm in chapter 4. There's a big storm... The, the boat that the disciples are in and Jesus in, is in as they're traveling across the Sea of Galilee is being tossed and turned, and Jesus is asleep. All the disciples are, are going crazy, and they, they wake up Jesus and they're like, Jesus, do you not care if, if we drown? To which Jesus asks, Well, first off, Jesus completely just calms the storm with a word. He says, Be still. And everything ends. And he's like, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? To which they were even more terrified. Ironically. Who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. How about another story? Jesus heals Jairus' daughter in chapter 5. On the way to heal a man's daughter, a man named Jairus, Jairus gets some bad news. They would taken a little bit of a break. There was something with a, another woman who also got healed. Um, and then a messenger comes and says, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? To which Jesus responds, do not be afraid. Just believe. When they arrived at the house, he sent all everybody else away except for the parent, the parents and one or two disciples, and simply said to this, woman, to this girl who had passed away and was dead, "Wake up." To which she woke up, and they were astonished, or they were afraid. When the disciples were traveling across the Sea of Galilee in the middle of the night, they saw something approaching them. It seemed to them like a ghost, and they were terrified. We don't even get a question like we did in the other two passages. Of, but instead, Jesus reveals himself as this person floating across the water, was walking across the water, and he says to them, Take courage. It's me. Don't be afraid. Again, the disciples were completely astonished. And we we're told that it's because they didn't understand. So, what do these three stories tell us about fear? Well, see, there seems to be a strong connection in Mark between being afraid or not being afraid and believing. But what does that mean? Well, I think what Jesus is posing, what Mark is kind of highlighting, is he's he's asking us, do you think God is willing to help us? That is the cry of the disciples as they wake Jesus up in the storm. Do you care if we drown? Are you willing to help us? Why do you not care? And the second question is, is God able to help us in our fears? The second question in the story with Jairus' daughter is, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher? He can't help you now. To which there is a resounding response, yes, I can. Jesus is proving that he is both willing and able to help us with our fears, to overcome our fears. I think that's, that's something we should think about when we reflect on what we fear and when we are scared. Do we believe God is willing? Do we believe God is able? The third story, he again encourages them, take courage, it's me. He's hoping that they had picked up through all the encounters throughout Mark in the first half of Mark, in which people come humbly to Christ, come humbly to Jesus, asking, and he says, I am willing. Your, your faith, your belief in me has healed you. Now, if only it was that simple, that we just ask God for things, and he gives it to us. Um, Unfortunately, it's a bit more nuanced than that. And Mark kind of has a bit of a pivot point in chapter 8. This is like the main kind of big pivot point in all of Mark. Uh, Peter, one of his disciples, declares Jesus the Messiah, which is like the king, the promised one to come and save Israel. And at that, Jesus begins to teach um, what that means. He says, I'm going to have to die. I'm going to have to suffer and then be raised in three days. To which Peter's like, no, 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 sorry, sorry, sorry. You just spent a half a book, about eight chapters, being like, you don't have to worry about anything if we're with you. So obviously, we don't have to worry about dying. You're not going to die. To which Jesus responds, get behind me, Satan. For you are concerned not, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. What's that all about? Merely human concerns. Jesus then goes on for the next couple chapters saying things that, let's say, are concerning. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever, wants, whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it to gain the whole world, yet forfeit your soul? What can anybody give in exchange for the soul? Later on, he even says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. A rich young man comes to him and asks how do I follow God? And he's like, okay, uh, do all the stuff in the Old Testament. Got it. He's like, yes, I got it. And he's like, okay, cool. Now give up all of your riches, give up everything and give them to the poor. Then come follow me. And the man's shocked. What? I think after the last couple of messages of God saying, I am willing, I am able to help you in your place of fear... Why is Jesus scaring people? I mean, I, I, it's hard to read through all of this without getting scared, being like, Am I, am I going to have to cut off my ha- what? What is that about? It's a bit of a weird, confusing conundrum. He is willing and able to satisfy our fears and to reassure us when we follow him. But when we follow him, we're going to have to give up things, we're going to have to sacrifice. And even later on, he says, we're going to have to suffer like him. We have to carry our crosses. See, Jesus is posing a question because he's not just satisfied relieving us of our fears, but he wants to free us from our fears. See, everybody on the way to the cross as Mark kind of describes the events that lead to Jesus hanging on the cross. Everybody is controlled by their fears. The temple leadership, when they ask Jesus, by whose authority are you doing this? He replies and kind of corners them to a thing by making them give an opinion on a controversial topic first. And it's said that they don't want to do this one because they're afraid of the crowd. They don't want to actually understand where Jesus' authority comes from, because then they would have to give up their authority, and they were afraid of the town. So they they were afraid of Jesus. And so that puts them in opposition to Jesus. They were controlled by their fear. When they come in the middle of the night to seize Jesus, the disciples flee. Mark even describes one person who his cloak is grabbed And so he flees naked, absolutely terrified. When Jesus is brought to Pilate, Pilate identifies him as an innocent man, but he seeks to satisfy the crowd. He also is scared of the crowd, of the people and what that could happen. Peter, who recognized Jesus as the promised king, Had previously said, I would lay down my life for you. But his words have proven a joke when he also denies Jesus three times because he was afraid. The one person whose actions are defined, are driven not by fear, is Jesus. And do not be mistaken, Jesus was terrified. The Garden of Gethsemane is a picture of a man terrified at what lies before him. He's about to be abandoned. He's about to be alone. He's about to be tortured and he's about to be put to death. And he cries out, Take this cup from me. But then he also modern, models exactly what he is inviting us to do. See, he is in inviting us to abandon our fear and replace it with faith. Because then he also adds the next bit, but not my will, but yours be done. See, Jesus knows that he's going to have to die so that we can be saved. He has to die so that he has to be rejected because we have rejected God. He knows he will suffer. He knows he will die. If he knows that he has to do that to save us. But he also knows that in three days he will rise again. Three times in Mark, Jesus predicts his death and tells his disciples, guys, I'm going to come back. So yeah, Jesus is still, I think, I would argue, Jesus is still afraid of the pain and, and recognizes the, the, the anguish that he's going to go through in the same way that he, he tells us that we will still suffer. We will still have pain but his faith is built on the fact that he knows he's coming back. So let's return to the women at the tomb. Why does Mark leave us with their fear? Because he wants us to realize how ironic it is. The resurrection is right there. The resurrection is proof that God is willing and able to restore us to new life. Whatever the world throws at us, whatever we suffer, whatever we are broken, however broken and damaged we end up at the end of it, God is willing and able to restore us to life. When we lose all of our riches, when we are abandoned by our closest friends and family, when we lose a hand, a foot, a leg, an eye, when we lose even our life, God is willing and able to restore us to life. This enables us to realize that there is nothing left to fear. And it enables us to to ask, why are we controlled by our fear? We cannot live without fear. Uh, We can live without fear. Now, this isn't a naive carelessness or like a uh, whatever the actions as I'm just going to hold, like jump off cliffs and whatever. But it's a recognition that, yes, there is suffering, but that Christ will come back. Flick was mentioning that we have a vision of heaven. We have a vision of a new creation in which the tomb is empty. But not only that tomb, every tomb, that God will restore us that he is willing to bring us back to a new creation. So why does Mark leave us with that fear? Because it is ironic. The women have just heard that they have reason to never fear again. Now there's another ironic thing about this passage. It's ironic how easy it is to see the irony of the women's fear. Oh, see, they have nothing to fear. Why are they afraid? Oh, that's silly. But it's so much harder to see the irony of our own fears and how they are still controlling our lives. I have not known a time in which I haven't known Jesus. Um, Thanks be to God. But by but day by day and year by year, I am continually discovering, discovering, that I am secretly controlled by fears I didn't realize. I'm still afraid of what people think of me, of people re- rejecting me. I'm still afraid of where the he- world is heading, of whether we're going to have a war in Asia, whether we're going to have, uh, whether I'm afraid of what's going to happen to indigenous people as. They get tossed around becoming objects of people's political aspirations. I'm still afraid of suffering and death. I'm still internalizing what the resurrection means. I'm still unlearning my fear. And I think it is a process, and it is a process that we we all follow. If we are following God and earnestly coming to him, It is a process as we slowly unlearn our response to be afraid of what isn't in our control because God is willing and God is able to raise us back to life. And I think Mark knows this. I think Mark is highlighting this. To the people who were scared that he was writing to, this is a a reminder that we have nothing to fear And even we were afraid when we first heard. The fear fear of the women is to highlight the irony of living in light, of living in fear in light of the resurrection, but at the same time it's an empathetic acknowledgement and comforting for those who are still in fear. It's okay to be afraid. Even Peter, who is last we heard in Mark, had abandoned Jesus and denied him three times, even though he said, I definitely won't. The shame he must have felt that he was still afraid. But even he gets the invitation back. Go tell Peter, I'm alive. Well, I mean, it's probably an angel. Go tell Peter, Jesus Christ is alive. He is risen. There is no reason to fear. Everybody who came to Jesus in Mark, they're all afraid of what Jesus is going to do to them. how, how How are they approaching Jesus going to be received? And over and over again, those who come humbly to Christ are accepted, are healed. Their sins are forgiven. And they're given a hope of a new life. And so we do not live defined by fear, but by faith. So, to those who are still exploring that, I hope that that is an encouragement to think through what are we still afraid of? What are we scared to lose? what does the resurrection say about that fear? For those of you who, who may not be fully convinced and not call themselves a follower of Jesus, um, that's fair. These are massive claims. And it would be, I mean, it's, it would seem controlling. Just trust me, bro. But the fact that Jesus had gone through it himself and that he has been raised as well I would encourage you to keep looking into that. On um, the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at um, the, the different appearances of Jesus to the disciples. And that is a great way to think about what living in, without fear looks like, what, how see them grapple with it, see them trying to figure out what that means. Um, again, I'm going to plug the, the alpha thing. That's a great way to figure out whether these truths, whether these claims are reliable or good. So next time that somebody says those three Anglican words, I think we should also be willing, we should know that they are a testament that God is willing and able to restore life and that we no longer need to live in fear. Why? because Christ is risen. Thank you. All right, uh, I'll pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are risen, that you have come back from the dead, that you have proved yourself over and over again, willing and able to address our fears and willing and able to restore us to life. God, give us the joy that that is to, to reflect on, and I pray that we'll be enjoying our time together, enjoying with joy the truth that you have risen. In your name, amen.